Friends, we can all listen to the sunny side of sports. Great show, bro. This is sunny side of sports. Right here on the Voice of America. Voice of America. Sporty greetings to all our Voice of America listeners. This is VOA's Sonny Young in Washington. Welcome to the January 25th edition of the sunny side of sports. Ladies first on Wednesday show. The U.S. women's national soccer team looks more than ready to defend its World Cup title later this year after a two-match friendly series in New Zealand. The American women beat 2023 Women's World Cup co-host New Zealand by scores of 4-0 and 5-0 in the two games. 20-year-old striker Trinity Rodman, the daughter of former pro basketball star Dennis Rodman, set up three of the nine goals with assists. During a recent appearance on the sunny side of sports, Washington Post soccer writer Stephen Goff said Trinity Rodman has a good chance of being selected for her first Women's World Cup team. Yeah, she's an up-and-coming player, uh, fantastic athlete. She certainly inherited that from from her father, uh, an exciting player, a player who can score goals, uh, create danger um, in the attack. Uh, young player, still internationally inexperienced. So she needs to really make a push over the next few matches for the U.S. team and, and show that she belongs. Certainly not guaranteed of a spot on the World Cup team, um, but in the running and, and a favorite um, or one of the favorites, uh, to, to make the team as, uh, as a forward. As we look at the uh, group for the American women, uh, come the Women's World Cup, Steve, uh, do you like their chances of advancing? <laughs> yeah, always. Um, they never have any trouble in group stages of uh, World Cups or Olympics. Uh, this group, the first games against Vietnam, a first-time World Cup participant, uh, the U.S. should breeze through that game. Second one's actually a tough one. It's a rematch of the 2019 final. They're playing the Netherlands. Um, that's a difficult match, and it really should determine who wins the group and is the top seed out of the group. Um, that's a tough one. Um, and then the last game, the opponent hasn't been determined yet. They'll come out of a playoff. Most likely it'll be Portugal, which is an okay European team, but not one uh really a, a great threat to the u.s so um yeah i mean the u.s has never never finished worse than third place at a world cup uh which means getting to the semifinal is almost taken for granted um you know it doesn't mean they're guaranteed getting that far there are there are some 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 dangerous spots along the way but um you know this is a this is a team that's certainly one of the top three favorites probably in the tournament Washington Post soccer writer Stephen Goff. The U.S. women's national soccer team will be bidding for its third consecutive Women's World Cup title and fifth World Cup trophy overall. The American women play their opening World Cup match on July 22nd when they face Vietnam at Eden Park in Auckland, New Zealand. Meanwhile, the official Adidas match ball for the 2023 FIFA Women's World Cup was unveiled in spectacular fashion on Tuesday in Sydney, Australia. 
the giant ball traveled over the Sydney skyline by helicopter before arriving at Marks Park overlooking Bondi Beach. It's the ninth consecutive football produced by Adidas for the Women's World Cup. Now, the ball's design is inspired by the unique natural landscapes of the two host countries, Australia and New Zealand, including the mountains of New Zealand and Australia's connection with the Indian Ocean. Australia and New Zealand will both be on the pitch when the Women's World Cup officially kicks off on July 20th. New Zealand will host Norway in Auckland, and Australia will play Ireland in Sydney. Sporty greetings. This is Randy Waldrum, coach of the Super Falcons of Nigeria. You're listening to the sunny side of sports on The Voice of America. Thanks. Thanks, coach. Randy Waldrum and the Super Falcons of Nigeria will begin their Women's World Cup campaign on July 21st when they play Canada in Melbourne, Australia. Also representing Africa at the Women's World Cup will be Morocco, South Africa, and Zambia. Sporty greetings. This is Memory Malisawa, Major Officer of Copa Queens of Zambia. You are listening to the sunny side of sports on The Voice of America. VOA Africa would like to hear from you. Send us a text message or a voice note on WhatsApp 24-7. Leave a comment, request, or send us a greeting, and you could be hearing your message on VOA Africa. Simply dial the international code plus one, then 202-258-3076. We are always happy to hear from you. The number again is international code plus one, then 202-258-3076. VOA Africa, your trusted source for news, sports, entertainment and music. Sporty greetings, this is Victor Simeon, Super Eagles of Nigeria and Napoli FC Forward. You're listening to the sunny side of thoughts on The Voice of America. Victor Osiman and fellow Nigerian Ademola Lukman are leading Italy's Serie A in scoring heading into Friday's next round of matches. Osiman has 13 goals for Napoli, while Lukman has 11 goals for Atalanta. For reaction to their performances... Iron Mike Mbonye contacted the chief football writer at ACLSports.com, Fisayo Dairo. I must admit it is fabulous to see the exploits of these young Nigerians in the Italian Serie A. Because the Italian league is a league renowned for its extreme physicality and huge emphasis on technical and tactical play. So when you see two Nigerians in their mid-twenties, yes, Osimen clocked 24 last month while Ademola Lukman clocked 25 just three months ago. And 
They're banging in the goals more than ever before even in their respective careers. It gladdens the heart and it's always good to see that Africans go there to Europe, not just to make a name for themselves, they also make names for the country. Osimhen has 13 goals already, he's a top scorer, he is the club's record by the Napoli from Lille and every season he keeps improving, he keeps adding to his scoring tally and this season is even set to be a record-breaking one in his personal career and for Adimola Lukman, already with his 11 goals, he's second behind Osimhen in the top scorer chart charts of the Serie He has scored more goals in a single season than he has ever scored in his career. As a matter of fact, his 11 league goals is even more and more than the total he had in the last two seasons in the Premier League in England. So it's very, very fabulous to, to see and hear what these lads are doing. Given the number of goals scored by the Nigerian players, do you know if they have equaled or surpassed the number of goals by, by African players in Serie A? Yeah, thank you for this particular question. And for this, I will particularly narrow it down to Victor Osimhen, who is a proven goal scorer, is an out-and-out forward, unlike Ademola Lukman, who is actually a wide forward player. Now, for Osimhen, he already has 36 Syria goals, and that is just 10 goals short of the highest goals by an African in the Serie A. And that is just 10 behind the great George Pongwee, the former world and African football player of the year who scored 46 goals in Syria. He has the study among Africans. But Osimen, in just his third season, midway through the third season, is 10 goals short of that. And more, quite significantly for Osimen as well, is 13 goals this season. He's just one goal short of the 14 he had in the Serie A last season in 27 games. And his 13 goals have come from just 15 games this season. So there's still a long way to go for him, in not only in Napoli and in his footballing career. So we are so much excited at this prospect, the record-breaking prospect of Victor Osimhen. And we hope that from here on, he goes from strength to strength. Also, he has a record to aim for, which is Samuel Eto'o Fields' 21 Serie goals in 2010-2011 season. That's the highest by an African in a single season. And hopefully, if he has had 13 already this season at the halfway stage, perhaps he could get up to 25 and have that record for himself as well. Fisoyo, what's the significance or benefits of, of Victor Simen and Ademola Lukman's form for the Super Eagles of Nigeria. I must say quite a number of Nigeria Super Eagles fans are indeed very delighted to see what these guys are doing in Europe, especially in Italy. Not only does it portray the nation's name in good light, but of course it has brought about a new wave of optimism for the Super Eagles because the team went to an all-time low when they failed to qualify for the World Cup last year. And interestingly, both Osimhen and Lukman were in the starting lineup that day in Abuja when Nigeria failed to beat Ghana and consequently failed to earn a place at the World Cup. Now we will resume international football activities in March this year, as a year after that particular disaster in Abuja. Now, with Lukman and Osimhen in a rich vein of form, the fans can once again believe that. It, doing the business against Guinea-Bissau, 
in Abuja and in Bissau will easily guarantee Nigeria qualification to the upcoming Africa Cup of Nations. That's next January in Cote d'Ivoire. So that's that that's the vibe. That's the feeling among the fans when we have a number of players in in rich vein of form in Europe. Alex Wobi was also spectacular before he got injured late last year. Now with the form of Osimhen, Lukman tearing the nets with their goals, then the Super Eagles is certainly poised to fly again. That's Fisayo Dairo, the chief football writer at aclsports.com. And Fisayo spoke with Iron Mike Mbonye on the telephone from Port Harcourt, Nigeria. Sporty greetings. This is Fisayo Dairo, chief football writer at aclsports.com. And you are listening to the sunny side of sports on The Voice of America. Since this past September, health professionals in the U.S. and elsewhere noted surges in the levels of respiratory syncytial virus disease, influenza, and COVID-19. There was concern that the spread of these three diseases could spark what some have called a tridemic. Hi, I'm Rick Pantaleo. Join my guest and me for the science edition of Press Conference USA when we talk about these respiratory illnesses. Listen Saturday and Sunday on The Voice of America. Thanks, Rick. Turning to tennis, Serbian star Novak Djokovic is only two wins away from a record-extending 10th Australian Open men's singles title. Craig Gabriel reports from Melbourne. Once more, it was a masterclass from Novak Djokovic. He's taken the last semi-final place at the Australian Open by overwhelming Andrei Rublev 6-1, 6-2, 6-4 in only two hours, three minutes, which was four minutes faster than the convincing win he had over Alex Dimino in the previous round. Last two matches, playing against uh, two guys that are really good players, informed players. To beat them uh, dominantly in three sets is something that uh, is definitely something that I want to this moment, something that sends a message to all my opponents remaining in the draw. And so with this kind of game, of course, the confidence level rises. There's a steely attitude in Djokovic and he's taking no prisoners when he walks on court. I don't think that uh, I lack determination. I, I always, um, you know, try to give my best, uh, particularly in Grand Slams, because at this stage of my career, you know, those, those are the, the tournaments that, that count the most, of course. But you could say that there is something extra this year. Yeah, you, you could say because of the, yeah, as you, as you mentioned, the injury and, uh, you know, what happened last year. And then I just, you know, wanted to really uh, do well. And, and so far I have I have a perfect score in Australian hard courts, you know, in Adelaide and, and here. And I've been playing better and better, so I couldn't ask for a better situation to be in at the moment. The Australian Open is by far the most successful tournament in his career and of the 92 titles he's won, nine are Australian Opens and that's bound to be 10 after this weekend. As an example, the Russian was left shaking his head time and again. He couldn't even lose his cool because it was all Novak's play. Rublev wasn't even given an opportunity to make a mistake. This was Novak's 26th consecutive match win at the Australian Open and that equals the record held by Andre Agassi as the longest streak of men's singles match wins. Next up, like lambs to the slaughter, is Tommy Paul. Well, I, I, I know how he plays. I've never faced him on the court, but uh, he's been around for a few years, so I watched him play quite a bit. 
especially during uh, this tournament and he's been playing probably tennis of his life and uh, very explosive very dynamic player uh, quick uh, very solid backhand likes to step in dictate the, the the point with the forehand great great service motion i think he can hit all the spots uh, with the serve so very complete player i think he's got a coach that has been around with some top players for many years so you know it's uh, first semifinals for him so of course you know he doesn't have much to lose i'm sure that he's going to go out trying to to play his best tennis. The American had quite a thrill by reaching the semis of a major for the first time. He defeated his compatriot Ben Shelton 7663-5764. Paul is the first American man since Andy Roddick in 2009 to reach the Australian Open semis. American tennis is like since I was young like that's all that's all we've been hearing since like 14 years old the coaches have been telling us like we need new Americans, we need new Americans, you know? So it's like kind of engraved in my head. I mean, we all want to perform, and uh, obviously Francis was pretty damn close at uh, Aussie. I mean, at U.S. Open to getting past the semis, and and who knows what would happen in the finals. So yeah, I mean, I think we all want it pretty bad for ourselves, but we want it for U.S. tennis too. And he's only the third active American man to have reached the semis at the majors. The others being John Isner and Francis Tiafo. Hi, I'm Francis Tiafo. You're listening to Sunny Side of Sports on Voice of America. What Tommy Paul can do in the next round against Djokovic is a mystery. He probably needs to enlist Harry Potter. Meanwhile, in the women's, Irina Sabalenka and Magda Lynette reach the semis. For Lynette, it's the first time at the majors. And she's only the third Polish woman to do that, the others being Aga Radwanska and Iga Świątek. Lynette defeated Karolina Pliskova 6-3-7-5 and Sabalenka beat Donna Vekic 6-3-6-2. Right now, I'm a little bit more calm on court and I think I really believe that this is the only thing that was missing in my game and uh, if I have if I can keep stay that focus and that calm on court um, I can get through it. Sabalenka and Lynette meet in one semi and the other one sees Vika Azarenka playing Elena Rabakina. There's potential history on the line as well. If Sabalenka and Azarenka win it'll be the first time you'll see an all Belarusian major final. Craig Gabriel VOA Sports Melbourne. Hello, this is Heather Maxwell, host of Music Time in Africa. Join me every Saturday and Sunday for an hour of awesome African music. Wake up, dance this music. Like to stay on top of new music trends? Breakout artists? New releases? Maybe you just love the classic styles and artists of the past. Or simply the sound and feel of a good beat. Whatever your pleasure, you can get it every week right here on Music Time in Africa. So join me on your local FM station, Saturdays and Sundays at 1500 and 2000 UTC. Sporty greetings. I am Busio Mugena, South African sports journalist. You are listening to the sunny side of sport on The Voice of America. Do enjoy. Papua Sugalum. It's a name recognized by only the most fanatical golf fans. Papua rose to prominence in the late 1950s when he won several international golf tournaments, the first African of color to achieve this. South Africa's white supremacist government 
embarrassed by Papua's achievements and his status as a symbol of the brutality of apartheid, did its best to crush his talents. Darren Taylor filed this feature from Johannesburg. One of the most enduring and tragic images of the apartheid era is a photograph of Papua Sugulam eating a sandwich in a car in the parking lot of the Durban Country Club. It's 1963, and he's leading the Natal Open ahead of 103 white golfers. But he isn't allowed into the clubhouse because of the colour of his skin. I met with a gentleman by the name of Ratif Waltman that played with my dad in 1963. And Ratif Waltman shared some stories about the tent area that was set aside for my dad in order for him to have his refreshments and change. Papua's son, Rajen, says the racist mistreatment didn't stop his father from winning the Open. In so doing, he became the first non-white person to win an event on the South African professional golf circuit. Later that year, Papua participated in the country's Open Championship, finishing a close second to compatriots and International Golfing Hall of Famer, Gary Player. My dad was a caddy. And, you know, he learned his prowess around the golf course from being a caddy and for caddying for his white counterparts. Papua Sugulam was born in 1930 into a family of poor labourers on a sugar farm in the lush province of Natal. He'd watch golfers on a nearby course and imitate them, hitting stones with sticks of sugarcane. In the late 1950s, Papua was caddying for South African golfer Graham Wolfe. Wolf, impressed by his caddy's talent, arranged for him to try to qualify for the British, French, German and Dutch Open Championships. That is where he excelled. When he won the Dutch Open in 1959, that was the first out of three in a period of six years. For anybody that looks at the Dutch Open trophy itself, they will see names like Bernard Langer, Severiano Ballastoris and so on etched on that trophy. And having won the tournament and coming back to South Africa, it embarrassed the, the South African PGA. And more importantly, it was the British PGA that allowed my dad to play overseas before South Africa could accept him as a player. In 1965, Papua won the Natal Open for the second time, defeating his friend Gary Player. Player and other white golfers were visibly upset when Papua was forced to accept the trophy outside the Durban Country Club in the rain. He won national and international tournaments throughout the 1960s, raising the ire of the apartheid government. Golf journalist Selvan Naidu says it's tragic that Papua's more recognized in international golfing circles than locally. I don't think his story is told as readily as we want it to be told. Much of the older generation is very aware of the story and this tragic story of denial. What knows what would have happened, you know, if Papua would have, would have been discovered much earlier. He was discovered at 31 years old. Naidu says Papua Sugulam is far from the only lost black South African golfer. People like Vincent Chabalala, Richard uh, Mukwarayani, Simon Cox and Schlapo. You know, these are the great names that we ought to be telling in the broad uh, South African history so that our children remember these names and be able to take these names and allow themselves to be inspired to grow to 
greater heights and so that hopefully we we're able to produce that tiger woods that all of us once in south africa rajen says right now there's no chance of that happening because present-day golf authorities in the country and the African National Congress government have done little to develop golfers of colour since apartheid ended almost 30 years ago. At the height of apartheid, we produced far more playing professionals than we do now, and that is questionable. In the years that my dad won internationally, there hasn't been a single person of colour that has won in international tournaments subsequent to that. He points out that golf is an expensive sport, yet the state refuses to fund clubs in underdeveloped areas and won't subsidize talented black players. Rajen says golf courses in townships are run down. Unless you play on championship golf courses, only then are you able to produce a champion. Since the fall of apartheid, says Naidu, South Africa's produced a long string of world-renowned golfers including Ernie Els and Retief Khursen. The latest crop includes Louis Oosthuizen, Charles Swartzel and Brandon Grace. That's great and reason to be proud, says Naidu. But they're all white. There's so few black uh, professional golfers making it out, even in the South African uh, tour. You know, golf's a hard game. It requires a lot of dedication and effort. You've got to put in the yards. Equally, we need government support, we need corporate support, we need individuals to come on board and see those kids from Kwamashu, Amlazi, Phoenix, Chatsworth and so on come to the fore so that, uh, you know, we develop. And, and equally, we need to see transformation in the schools. In 1970, South Africa's golf administrators finally gave in to pressure from apartheid's overlords, banning Papua from the country's golf courses denied opportunities to pursue the game he loved and excelled at, Papua faded into obscurity and into poverty. He died a few years later in his sleep at the young age of 48. Rajan says cause of death was never established, but as far as he's concerned, Papua Sugulum died of a broken heart. For the sunny side of sports, I'm Darren Taylor in Johannesburg. Thanks, Darren. Hi, I'm Kim Lewis. Join me and our panel of journalists as we discuss the top stories of the week. The U.S. Ambassador to the U.N., Linda Thomas-Greenfield, is the second cabinet member to visit Africa in an attempt to strengthen partnerships with former U.N. Security Council members. This and more on Issues in the News this Saturday and Sunday on The Voice of America. Thanks, Kim. I'm VOA Sonny Young in Washington, and you're listening to the sunny side of sports on The Voice of America. You can follow the sunny side of sports on Facebook, Twitter, and at voaafrica.com. My Facebook address is facebook.com forward slash VOA Sunny. My Twitter handle is at VOA Sunny Sports. And you can listen online to the sunny side of sports and other VOA programs by going to voaafrica.com. The AP's Tom Merriam joins us now with a roundup of Tuesday night's National Basketball Association action 
and some news about the newest Baseball Hall of Famer. The newest member of Baseball's Hall of Fame is Scott Rowland. The third baseman who had his best years with the Phillies and Cardinals was the only player elected by the baseball writers for induction in Cooperstown. It was his sixth year on the ballot. I wouldn't get a call last year and I knew it, so we'll pay attention. And uh, But this year we were, we, it was a little different and a um, <laughs> little tightness in the chest, you know, all day and, and not one way or another. It was just, wow, this, this is real. Fred McGriff will also enter the hall this summer after being selected by an ERA committee last month. NBA two-time MVP Nikola Jokic, playing like a Hall of Famer, posted his fourth straight triple-double as the Nuggets made it 10 wins in their last 11 games, 99-98 over the Pelicans. Jokic hit the game-winning shot after New Orleans staged a late rally against Mike Malone's team. One of the coaches said, uh, you know, New Orleans closed on a 10-2 run. And I corrected him. I said, no, we closed on a 2-0 run. Denver's now just a half game behind Boston for the league's best record as the Celtics melted down against the Heat. NBA winners included the Clippers, Pacers, Wizards, Suns, and the Knicks, who snapped a four-game losing streak by beating the Cavaliers 105-103, thanks to 36 points from Julius Randle. We uh, dropped a few that, you know, we felt like we obviously um, should win. Um, but for us to respond like that, uh, obviously against a tough matchup with Cleveland, um, was great. I'm Tom Merriam. Thanks, Tom. And that wraps up the January 25th edition of the show. Thank you for tuning in. I get it. I'm VOA Sonny Young in Washington. And that's the sunny side of sports.